Welcome to Safa Security Chat Chat, episode 160 for the 13th of August, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski, freshly back from Las Vegas, Nevada, here with Paul Ducklin. Hello, Chester. Uh, another summery winter's day, I'm pleased to tell you. Well, uh, I, I can say I've had my fill of summer when you're in Las Vegas in the desert heat for a week. And, and as if I didn't have enough, you know, kind of security crammed down my throat all in one go, I get back for slightly less than a day, and it's Patch Tuesday. It is indeed. And so, you know, we've got the standard Microsoft uh, monthly rotation to discuss. What, what's the summary for August? To use my sort of three-number scorecard approach, it's 932, which means nine bulletins, three remote code execution, and two deemed critical by Microsoft. But it's really the, the middle of the list all the elevation of privilege stuff that I found much more interesting. It really does, when you read through them all, it's like a game of snakes and ladders, where the ladders take you up another rung of privilege until you go from almost nothing to, you know, hello, I'm in the kernel, uh, with no snakes. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's all up a step at a time. Well, yeah, we, we call it shoots and ladders in, in North America, but uh, I think everybody's familiar with the terminology. And, you know, there, there was a, a patch roll-up for Internet Explorer, which there seems to be most months fixing some browser bugs, one of which was publicly disclosed. The one that caught my eye that was marked critical was the second one, which is a Windows Media Center bug. The warning from Microsoft seems to suggest it's exploited through utilizing Microsoft Office documents. Yes, uh, it lists it as a privately reported vulnerability in Windows. It seems to use the vulnerability you need to something that triggers some media center activity and to trigger it in a way that makes it vulnerable you have to use office so you imagine well that's three planets that an attacker would have to align unfortunately they're really trivial to align you just send the guy an office file windows knows that office files need office and will automatically and helpfully start all the needed stuff for you a good example i suppose of security taking second place to functionality. Well, we've seen this before with Adobe products frequently where we see a PDF uh, being exploited using Flash embedded inside of the PDF. And it's a way to get the code to execute on the client without requiring someone to say, click a link and go to a website. Uh, by delivering the PDF with the Flash vulnerability wrapped up in, inside of it as a bundle, it makes it easier for the attackers to get the payload or the malicious code that much closer to an end user and increase the likelihood of being able to exploit the vulnerability. So, um, you know, this, this richness and functionality where everything can be containerized inside of something else is more of a nightmare than it is a feature, it seems. And of course, when you read through the, through the critical vulnerabilities, they both carefully say that customers whose accounts have fewer rights will be less impacted than those who are administrators. And then you go down to that middle ground that I spoke of earlier, and you see all the elevation of privilege exploits that say, yep, this lets you go from regular user to administrator. This lets you go from regular user to kernel land. So unfortunately, there are all the sort of all the combinations you need here. Security bypass as an ASLR bypass in .NET. There's elevation of privilege and there's the remote code execution. But as you pointed out, all but one of these are privately reported. So if you do the patch, as usual, you should be ahead of the attackers. Once again, the long way of saying patch early, patch often, folks. 
you did a really interesting uh, write-up on some new Android malware in China. Uh, I think you branded it as kind of the Android Heart app because it, it tries to use uh, love as a lure, which we've seen many times in, in the malware community. Uh, but this one's like spreading. It's actually properly a virus, right? Yes, it is a true virus. It is self-replicating, so it doesn't need a big spam run to get it going. It arrives in SMSs that, of course, come from people in whose contact list your name appears. Probably, in other words, your chums. So it comes with that veneer of, hey, it came from someone I know. I Why don't I just try it out? My understanding is no Google Play Store in China. Uh, so people are very used to the idea of using alternate markets. They're very used to having the allow apps from unknown sources option enabled in Android, which is not the default. And therefore, you know, I guess more used to experimenting. The good news is that the text messages were not polymorphic, which allows the carriers to hopefully filter them out and prevent further spreading of this malware. It also gives applications like Sophos Antivirus for, for Android, you know, the opportunity to take a close look at your text messages. And, and if they're known to be potentially malicious text messages, uh, have a chance to filter them out before you're ever exposed to the threat. The thing had its moment of glory. And then fortunately, once it got attention, it was pretty much stamped out fairly quickly. But it does go to show that from a cyber criminal point of view, it's not all about Trojan horses that get sent out en masse in advance in a great big spam run. Traditional self-spreading viruses can go large and they can go large quickly. This is proof positive. Well, one of the ways, of course, he might have gotten caught could have been if he was a Foursquare user. Uh, there was quite a lot of uh, furor this week over the fact that Foursquare had begun tracking people's locations, not just when they were looking to meet up with some chums for a drink after work, but all of the time, no matter where they were going, uh, a la Google, I guess, which does a lot of that on its Android um, operating system by default. It did warn people when they upgraded the application beyond version 8.0 that it was going to start doing background tracking in order to, of course, provide fantastic opportunities for you to get some uh, targeted advertisements based on your location and provide additional services that they could only provide if they knew precisely where you were. Uh, and that with instructions saying, if you don't want this, you need to go into the app over here and you know uncheck a box to opt out of it. But I think folks are getting a little sick of the opt-out, especially when there's trust involved. And, and there, there was a lot of uh, very negative reaction. Well, it's interesting that on the location services page in the new app, Foursquare is pretty unapologetic about it. But the thing they seem to think people will be most worried about in this new feature being on by default is power. It says, don't worry. We've worked hard to make sure this feature only uses a tiny bit of your battery. Um, nothing about, oh, by the way, you know, if you're concerned about privacy, this is a lot worse than it was before. Uh, hopefully, if you're concerned about privacy, you'll work that out all by yourself. But it's kind of a shame, isn't it? You and I and the rest of the Naked Security team, we've spent ages trying to urge people, hey, let's become an opt-in society. And here's a company that's been opt-in so far going the other way. Well, opt-in versus opt-out has a pretty big uh, you know, impact on your reputation ultimately, right? So companies need to consider that as well, not just how many users can I get to take advantage of something that I think is whiz-bang new cool. I'm just going to turn it on. 
but you know, can have a long-term impact. And, and Facebook had a bit of backlash this week related to a very similar situation where they've split the Facebook Messenger uh, functionality into a separate app uh, on their mobile devices. And uh, at least in the Android app, it asks for permissions that got the community to react very strongly in a negative way toward Facebook, um, seemingly just based on the reputation that Facebook oversteps the line too often. Well, it got some journalists banging a drum. But you're right, maybe if Facebook hadn't been quite so cavalier in the past, then people would have accepted this as what might well be a positive step. They've taken all the messenger features and they've separated it, if you like, from the sort of social networking angle. Maybe that's a good thing. And they've put it into an Android app that's called Facebook Messenger. And uh, now, as you say, the backlash is, oh, man, it's asking for permission to use your camera and your microphone. That's terrible. Well, it lets you make video calls. Of course it needs permission to use your camera and your microphone. Yeah, I I kind of agree that I thought it was a positive thing and that uh, I don't currently use the Facebook app on my mobile device because I didn't like all the things it wanted to do. And I pretty much just wanted it for its two-factor functionality. You know, now that they've taken out the stuff like the microphone and the video stuff that I didn't really want uh, into a separate app, I feel a lot more comfortable loading the original app now. I think separating those things out into some sensible, logical categories of, hey, this thing needs SMS and video and and sound because it's all about uh, talking and sharing in real time with your friends and this other thing doesn't is kind of a good thing. It's astonishing, isn't it, that they've, it's almost as though, hey, they've done something right and they've got this terrible backlash, I guess, as you said, based on their historical behavior, I suppose. Facebook, I think, all the way around, in my opinion, has improved security of their service. Um, I, and I won't say they've improved privacy yet. I like this move. And if they, if they make a whole bunch more moves like this one, they might convince me at some point. But as they've gotten big and become a public company and have the world's scrutiny upon them, they have matured. And I think that's a really good thing considering the responsibility of trying to um, manage the security and privacy of, you know, upwards of 2 billion people now. Yeah, you know, you think, well, eBay had that big breach recently. Adobe had the super enormous one last year. We've had these problems with Snapchat, WhatsApp, you know, a lot of other social interaction applications and services. The one that's pretty much conspicuous by its absence in data breaches is indeed Facebook. I concur. Uh, well, that, that's about, I think, all we have this week. Before we go, Chester, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Black Hat and DEF CON? Uh, I know you very kindly let me interview you last week in that Black Hat special, but DEF CON was only just starting. In fact, you were running off to a presentation. And... We didn't really talk about any specific talks at Black Hat. We were more looking at the, the sort of security vibe and what the buzzwords were. But uh, what were the interesting things you learned? What were the cool talks that you went to? Well, you know, DEF CON is 22 now, so it, it is maturing a little bit. Um, I don't want to give the impression that it's a corporate festival now, but um, it has come along a little ways. And, you know, the the interesting bits to me, considering a lot of the work I've done in the past is point of sale mail, where, uh, you know, at Black Hat, I was able to attend Professor Ross Anderson's talk on chip and pin security, which was very interesting. And then I followed that up with another talk that... Uh, was pretty darn good. I thought myself, there, there was some stuff I had done with uh, some colleagues at RSA this year on credit card stealing malware. A very similar sample to the sample I used in my research was presented by 
Wes McGrew uh, from the University of Mississippi, and he took a very different angle of approaching analyzing the malware, because of course we were looking at it from the standpoint of what can we learn to block it and protect people. He was looking at it more academically as what can we learn all the different bits and pieces and how they work and why they might have been done the way they were done. And all of that, to me, was uh, really interesting work, so I I was happy to see that. And, you know, other things that I thought were interesting on the maturity front at DEF CON this year was just so much talk about building up our privacy and building new systems that are harder to spy upon and break, perhaps in response to the Snowden revelations. You know, usually DEF CON is break all the things, drink all the beer. And this year, there was plenty of breaking things. There was the so hopelessly wireless contest and all these other things. But in addition to breaking, there was how to use Tor effectively to protect your privacy. What can we do with email to eliminate the leakage of metadata so we can all communicate more securely? Um, You know, some building along with the breaking, which I found to be a very pleasant change. Yes, that sounds great. And, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, why would I need to learn about how to use Tor if I'm not the kind of person who wants to use Tor? If you know what it is, that the idea is supposed to make you mostly anonymous online, it's actually really important to learn about the ways in which that apparent promise can break down because you learn an awful lot about the way both security experts and attackers think when you start taking all of that into consideration, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, as we've learned, the quote, metadata is such an important component of uh, data gathering and intelligence. And that's one of the things that it's very easy to lose track of using tools like Tor, understanding the mechanics of it to not leak what you're about as opposed to specifically what it is you're doing is an important component. And, you know, you and I have talked numerous times about gathering up all these little bits of information can paint a really detailed picture of someone's behavior. It's the reason I think people freaked out at Foursquare. Uh, It's the reason people were concerned about what permissions Facebook has. Because we know that even if you're not listening to my phone calls, knowing who I call and when I call them might be an important thing. And it's easy to leak that kind of information by accident if you don't uh, use a tool properly. And of course, DEF CON has left me with a bit of a, a work deficit, so I'm going to conclude Software Security Chat Chat 160. As always, for all the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts can be had over RSS. You can get them on iTunes via the TuneIn app or over at soundcloud.com slash And until next time, stay secure.